on the table today, gentlemen? Well, um, from last summer, our country has been reeling and reeking. I, I have to be honest with you, this topic did not come to my attention um, until Charlottesville. Uh, the the issue that happened in Charlottesville, the the tragedy that happened in Charlottesville. I am so excited that we are willing to step into the deep end. I'm, that's how I feel today. We are about to jump into the deep end and rip the Band-Aid off and talk about critical race theory and the church. All right now. And the church. You've heard about it on CNN and Fox oh News. You have read about yeah. it here and there. We get to talk about it here today on the Pastors Roundtable. So that's what's on the table, the critical race theory and the church. Um, Dr. Henry, who's at the table today, my friend? Listen, listen, every week we're just so blessed to have people who are uh, willing to share their knowledge and expertise as we deal with these all important topics. And today we have Dr. Skip Bell. He what? is a retired professor of Andrews University. He is, was a pastor, departmental director, administrator. Um, he has been on several panels. He has, um, has work of scholarship and also presents in various different um, seminars dealing with church leadership. In fact, he was at one time the one that led the D-Men cohort there oh, right. at yep. the Andrews University. So uh, we're just so privileged to have him here on the round table. And then the next one, you know, I have to sit up for the next one, make sure my shirt is okay, because <laughs> the next one that I'm going to introduce... <laughs> That's right. That is, listen, this is my teacher. And Ron, your teacher too. And so many of That's us, right. uh, we were taught by Dr. Keith Burton. Listen, I'm impressed with Dr. Burton. I remember going to Greek class and uh, I'm, I just I'm, praise I'm, God I'm for your grace. Can I bring him on while we talk about him? I'm going to bring him on. Bring him on. Bring him on. All right. All right. <laughs> So Dr. Burton, he is, listen, I'm impressed with Dr. Burton. The man reads out the Greek Bible, okay? So I don't know I don't know how better you can get from that. But currently he is a professor at Health University. He's also a professor at Oakwood. We have Dr. Keith Burton and Dr. Skip Bell. So privileged to have both of you here on the Passes Roundtable. Absolutely, absolutely. Listen, we're going to get this started. We're going to give the gentleman just a, a minute to greet the audience. But before we do that, let's just offer a word of prayer as we engage this conversation this afternoon. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity. We're asking for your covering now as we engage this conversation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. amen Dr. Bell, amen. we didn't get to tell everybody everything about you. We amen. know that there's a whole lot more than what we shared uh, with where you are, what you're doing now, what's going on with you. We're going to give you um, 49 points. Uh, 11 seconds That's to just uh, greet the audience today, share with them whatever That's it is that you'd like. These are yes. preachers. Oh, they're preachers? These are, I was going to say, these are preachers. Both of them are preachers, Pastor Paul. Okay. So I just want right. 39.7 seconds. 39.7 seconds. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks. I, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Um, I am Professor Emeritus now, which means I have a little more freedom in how I spend my time. Nice. I still enjoy working with the Doctor of Ministry program at Andrews. 
in leadership and coordinating the urban ministry cohort. Um, and uh, we're splitting our time between Maine, where our son lives, and Collegedale, where our daughter, both families with grandchildren, we're loving it. But I really value the opportunity to stay engaged in the thinking and learning. So thank you for this uh, invitation, Pastor Paul, Henry, and Wade. I just really appreciate it. We're excited to have you. Excited to have you. And thank you so much for accepting. Uh, Dr. Burton, uh, are we giving him the same amount of time? Uh, Dion, that's your teacher, man. You got to. Amen. Like, hey, already got eight. Whatever he wants to do, man. Eight, so. <laughs> you sound like you got a well, picture of man. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> well, it's just a privilege to be here. Yeah, it's a privilege to be here on the Pastor's Roundtable. I actually feel like I'm with Anderson Cooper on CNN right now because you guys just <laughs> do things so professional. This is great. Um, but uh, at the moment, I'm um, located in Orlando, Florida. I, uh, last year, I left Oakland after many years, and I'm now at Advent Health University teaching the graduate program in spiritual care. Uh, I do still teach a class or two for Oakwood. Um, always keep that connection going, but I'm right now in uh, Orlando. And uh, I just noticed my sister from Jamaica saying hi. And so I'm going to say hi back to my sister. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. but uh, but it's, uh, it's a good thing to be here again. And I just love the work that you guys are doing. And guess what? Pastor Appreciation Month, uh, Dr. Bell, Pastor Wade, Pastor Paul, and Dr. Henry. I appreciate all y'all. Oh, bless wow. you. Thank you. Thank bless you. you. Bless Thank you. you. All right. Well, let's, let's, wow. oh, go ahead, uh, Dr. Wade. No. Okay. Uh, hey, let's go, baby. I, all right. I want to get wet. Get us wet. <laughs> hey, all right. Here we go. So we've heard so much about this critical race theory. Um, it is impacting every, almost, almost everywhere we see from politics to churches to schools. It, it, it's, it's popping up in all of these places. And almost every time we hear critical race theory, we hear it in different contexts. So, gentlemen, I want to pose this question, and I'll throw it at, at, at Dr. Burton first, and then uh, uh, Dr. Bell, if you, you want to add it to, to that. We want to ask the question right out of the gate, what exactly is critical race theory? Um, and can you give us any kind of a background or history on, the de on its development over time? Dr. Burton. Uh, that actually seems like a simple question, but it's not. Um, critical race theory has so many meanings these days. But um, we have to look at it uh, in the ideological development. You know, uh, critical race theory is something that grew out of um, critical legal studies. And so it was something that was uh, taught in uh, law schools. And the brainchild behind it was um, a gentleman called Richard uh, Delgado. He was a Mexican-American and... Uh, others uh, who sort of embraced the theory, people like Derek Bell and uh, Marie Matsuda. Uh, Matsuda, she was uh, from Hawaii. Derek Bell, an African-American, as was Patricia Williams. So these are some of the early names uh, behind um, at least the critical legal studies, which developed into critical race theory, that the first roundtable on uh, critical race, I believe it was 1987, and Dr. Bell can correct me if I'm wrong here, 1989, uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison. And uh, basically... Uh, we're looking at the development of a uh, theory uh, that was being taught in law schools to sort of explain some of the racial disparities that we have. And so when we look at some of the basic tenets of critical race theory, 
uh, we're looking at um, ideas about race, um, race being a social construction. And uh, race being a social construction, and so uh, when we look at the way in which laws are put together uh, with race in mind, uh, we see that um, uh, at least critical legal studies, they're looking at this whole idea of the laws that relate to the peoples of America uh, being inherently unjust uh, because uh, racism seems just to be uh, structured in the fabric of these laws. And then uh, part of the uh, critique of critical race theory has to do with this whole concept of um, liberalism. And uh, some may scratch their head because critical race theory uh, seems to be something that's sided with those on the left, in a sense. But uh, the critique against liberalism in critical race theory uh, basically says that uh, liberals, uh, for most part, they're looking for a colorblind society and speaking about you know equality, etc. And that may sound good, uh, but colorblindness doesn't take into account the reality of race in the not only history uh, but in uh, contemporary society. And so, um, when we look at critical race theory, then this whole idea of race being a social construct, uh, the whole idea of racism being inherited in the laws, and and the critique against liberalism, and then we also have. Um, this whole notion, another word you're going to see tossed around a lot, um, uh, uh, popularized by Kimberly uh, Crenshaw, Kim Kimberly Crenshaw from University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA. In fact, a lot of the theorists uh, do come from UCLA. And this whole notion um, of intersectionality. So when we look at um, the whole issue of race, it's not necessarily even just a black and white issue, uh, no pun intended, or cut and dry issue. Uh, but there are a whole lot of levels of mm -hmm. um, complexity in the way in which we analyze um, race um, in the United States of America. But now, when we look at um, the background of critical race theory coming from uh, the legal academy, coming from law schools, uh, we've seen that the term itself has been captured and usurped and redefined uh, by sort of the right, by uh, a, a lot of conservatives uh, who basically mm -hmm. look at critical race theory strictly in terms of race. And a lot of times um, has to do with um, blacks, you know, the sort of angry black man and wanting to sort of stick it to society in a sense. Mm -hmm. And that's the concept of critical race theory, I think, when uh, it's sort of watered down on the news, on Fox News, on CNN, MSNBC, et cetera, where you see them talking about critical race. Not, that's not so much in MSNBC, uh, more, of course, on Fox and CNN sort of in between. But um, what, what we basically see is this whole watering down and dumbing down of what this very complex theory is. And so they're talking about, oh, you can't teach critical race theory uh, in in schools, you know, like kindergartners can understand legal theory, you know, and so, but 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 the, it's been very successful. The, it's been very successful, and they've kind of created this bogeyman. And unfortunately, uh, many people are responding to the bogeyman that has been created and don't understand the tenets behind the theory. So then, Dr. Bell. So it, it sounds <clears throat> like from what we're hearing from Dr. Burton. So critical race theory is it? It almost sounds like now, as as Dr. Burton explained it, that it, that it's not a thing itself, but it sounds like it is a it is a mechanism by which to understand. Um, 
understand some of the issues that have impacted race? How, how would you how would you uh, respond to that? Is that the case, or is it more? Is it a thing itself? Are we teaching people how to? Th- uh, this is what to think, or is or is it teaching them or giving them a a framework in which to understand race? Uh, thank you for that. Uh comment and question. And thank you, Dr. Burton, for that introduction. I, I'm, go- I'm going to suggest we could spend just a few more minutes unpacking this thing. So allow me to do that, getting uh, Pastor uh, Paul to your okay. very specific question. See, cr- Christian life a- and witness is lived out in the public square. So this question regarding uh, CRT can, cannot simply be postured like some political football, mm. which it's uh, become. Now, I, I want to share uh, my perspective on this. Uh, CRT is an assertion in the broadest terms regarding human relationships. And yes, it's, it's about 40 years old, 40 years old, wow. four decades. And it's, it's an academic concept that has has created a sense of a tool for division when brought into a simplistic uh, conversation in some of the media, et cetera. Core to the concept as rightly understood, and I, I suggest we all need to kind of say, let's rightly understand CRT. It is uh, race, as a social construct. Now that might seem obvious, but in the perspective that I would bring to this conversation, uh, it's not obvious. Hmm. But what I mean is this, some will say, well, race is just a matter of skin color, just ignore it, and then all problems are solved. Should make no difference. Now, while, while I want to respect that view, and appreciate a sentiment towards optimism regarding equality, race is far more complex when we consider if or how racial distinctions or histories have played a role in our human interactions. In the broadest sense, CRT regards human relationships and carefully considered no American, well, I should, most Americans would not deny that race is real in our human mm-hmm. experience. And, and I'd like to say no Americans would advocate for racism. I would be wrong. Very few Americans, disappointingly few sometimes, would advocate for racism when it's understood as discrimination, antagonism, or prejudice directed toward a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular group, racial or ethnic group. But here's a unique thing about CRT that does bring us around to your question. Uh, CRT asserts that racism is not simply a matter of individual bigotry. This is not an accusation toward an individual about present bigotry. Uh It's about systemic conditions that have come to pass in the place where we all live and share. Now, I can't step out of that. I can't say, oh, I'm no longer going to be a part of the American system and then ignore CRT. Um, Mm. It's it's an unfortunate 
factual historical pattern of racism or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group and asserts that it's not individual bigotry, it's systematic. Mm. It's concerned about outcomes. I think a, a simple way to say it is it's about outcomes that have carried over into American life. What's not inherent, uh, Pastor uh, Paul, is is an assumption regarding individual racism. To have an intelligent, reasoned conversation about CRT is not some assertion that all people of one class or group are racist. CRT is not an assumption regarding individual racism. Few of us would deny our American history, my goodness, slavery, convict leasing, I mean, we could, we could spend a lot of time talking, lynching, which carries over into issues of how justice is afforded, sundowner towns. Man, I went, I went to a high school in a town that had a sundowner law. I walked past a sign. I should have taken it down. <laughs> some, some other student from the public high school on the way to college took it down and put it in their dorm room. Oh my! Segregated public squares, education, transportation. Now, you see, the thing of it is, we would say that these conditions are unimaginable today, but they have created an outcome in our system: Jim Crow laws, voter rolls, all these things. I, I, I kind of wish I had more time to go into those. A, a, a very typical example, and then I'll shut up. Now, I could, I, could talk, I could go on too long. Wow, that's fascinating. Think of it. Uh, in 1938, the Homeowners uh, Loan Corporation, now I may be getting that wrong, uh, a senior moment, <laughs> but they, uh, they created so-called residential security maps and financial institutions. It sounds like a good idea. Protect the financial system for the whole country through being unsafe for them to provide uh, uh, mortgages. Well, what happens in those neighborhoods seeming hazardous when a young person develops a business, they become a contractor, they go to college, they become professional, mm -hmm. they come back, they wanna rebuild a house in that area or buy a house in that area and they can't get a mortgage. It creates neighborhoods that, <clears throat> You know, some would say, oh, we can lift ourselves by our own bootstraps. Well, try to get a mortgage in a uh, redlined <laughs> area. Now, that has since been outlined, the Fair Housing Act. But here's the thing. See, uh, uh, here's the difference, Pastor, that CRT can make in real life. It becomes a part of more even than legal law that can be set aside, it becomes a part of system. It becomes just ingrained. We'll make a decision not based on your particular individual ability to pay that mortgage, but on the risk associated with a particular neighborhood. And you could talk about food quality, public education, voting rights, and all those things. I'll, I'll be wow. quiet for a while. So, wow. so, so again, so my takeaway now is that, okay, so, so it is a critique 
not just on racism itself, but particularly on systemic uh, or the systems of racism. If, if I were just to kind of boil, boil that down. Okay. It is a I mean, system absolutely. by which we critique systemic. Yeah. It, it's not an accusation toward an individual being racist. Okay. And, right. and much right. of, and we, we could talk uh, a long time. I've had so much, uh, frustration and conversing with people on this who, okay, forgive me, look like me, who would say, well, they're accusing us all of being racist. That's not it at all. Okay. But, yeah. but, it, yeah. but can I make okay. a statement here? Yeah, go ahead. Doc. Yeah. 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 And, and, um, um, look at this, uh, Lou Matthews, Lou Matthews talks about the whole concept of whiteness. And, um, yes, I, I, I believe both um, Skip and I did, did touch on this. We're talking about systemic racism, even though we didn't use that exact word. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm thinking about um, this whole notion of whiteness, you know, um, white privilege, uh, white supremacy, as also being inherent when you start to peel the layers off. I mean, it's definitely there. But again, the reason why it's so complex is that even the notion of whiteness is something that's invented. You know, I just um, mm -hmm. read um, Ira Katchnelson when affirmative action was white. And uh, before that last year, I read, uh, was that the guarded gate by Daniel or Kent? You know, um, the whole notion, looking at this whole um, creation of whiteness. And so when we look at how whiteness is used um, uh, from a critical race perspective, and this is not necessarily coming strictly from a legal, um, you know, a legal notion of critical race theory, even though the legal theory is informed uh, by the writings of, you know, the boys and others. You know, but, uh, when we look at this, the, um, if I can use the word genius, not necessarily in a positive way, but the genius um, of this whole concept of whiteness is that uh, you have an, an aristocratic group uh, who basically uh, put forth the notion, uh, you may be poor, but at least you're not black, to kind of invite all whites into that club even though all whites don't really fit in that club. And so it's a system that in many ways is used by capitalism to ensure that those on the top um, keep what they have. And they have this huge guard of folk who don't have what they have, uh, feeling somewhat privileged uh, because they are not like the persons they are taught to despise. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, wow. there is that wow. notion of whiteness there you know, um, but again, we look at it in the complexity, there are layers there uh, because those who were invited into the white club, some were invited into the white club pretty late. I mean, Southern Jews were came into the white club pretty late. You know, um, uh, uh, Irish people got invited into the club late. You know, there are many groups that got invited into the club late. And the latest group are white Latinos because yeah. uh, critical race theory, when you think about the way in which we classify race, we lump sort of Latinos into one group, but Latinos is basically a linguistic um, category. It's mm -hmm. not really of race mm -hmm. or ethnicity. And so mm -hmm. when we look at South Florida, for instance, uh, we have the Cubans who are Latino, mm -hmm. but you look at South um, uh, California, <laughs> you have the Mexicans, different type of Latino. Who are mm -hmm. the Cubans in South Florida? For the most part, they're the descendants of the conquistadores, uh, those who came and colonized uh, the uh, folk in um, Southern mm -hmm. California. And so again, it's complicated. Wow. There are so many different layers, but it's the way in which whiteness is used, very malleable, 
but it's usually those people on the top, um, the aristocracy, the oligarchy, those few who want the power, um, who basically invite people into the group at will so they can protect what they have. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because because in, in, in that in, in that foray of, of, of that discussion, my mind goes back to the 1776 and, and our, you know, independence and our American independence and all that. And, and I, don't, I don't think a lot of people realize that when it comes to issues like voting, that at that time when when the American colonists were fighting for independence and in the birth of the new nation, every white person did not have the right to vote. So they had not been, it was poor white people had not been invited into that club either at the birth of this nation. So you had to be a landowner in order to have the right to vote even here. And, and it wasn't until later that, that that disparity between color now began to draw lines that began to, to, to impact uh, power and authority in a, in a voting type of a sense. So that, that, that's very intriguing. Um, but, 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 but if I may, at the beginning, as I was preparing for this show, um, as you brought up 1776, it, also, it was also shared that the real issue of the CRT system being incorporated into the laws really started in the 16, the 1619 um, when slaves actually hit the the um, the the shores of America, and that was where we really need to begin in understanding and unpacking how this systematic um, barriers have been set up from 1619 and not necessarily from 1776. Okay, uh, you're referring to that yeah, the 1619 project. project. Yeah. The 1690 project by, I think, Time Magazine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is is interesting. So so let me just jump in here. CRT um, kind of just grappled or or kind of just consumed all these different variations of the definition, right? So now (laughs) when people use CRT, it's just broad. Am I right? It's just broad. So people use it for everything. But what you're saying is that this is, this concept is a theoretical framework that they were discussing in law school. Am I right? Well, I, I kind of wish um, you, can, you can trace the time when CRT became part of the public discourse. I kind of wish that wouldn't have happened. Uh, don't misunderstand me. Um, rather, Rather than CRT becoming a uh, expression of defensiveness or a weapon of argument, it would be better for careful, thoughtful reflection to lead us to um, understand how the outcomes of actual historical, factual ways of behaving and events in America have affected the context of life in America for people, people of all groups, people who were, um, you see, in a conversation with people, uh, you have to avoid language that would make them defensive. Mm. So you could simply describe the, the American history and events for which our conscious ought to lead us to reflect, to think, to identify, and, and note those outcomes and make changes. Uh, 
we have had legislative action to address uh, the negative outcomes, uh, but they seem to kind of vanish away and float away down the stream because we have not carefully reasoned, in my opinion. It's become an emotional conversation. Right. So I, I know that there are probably some in our audience right now who are feeling a little uncomfortable, a little squeamish. This sounds like a sociological, philosophical uh, conversation, <laughs> not, not a Sabbath uh, conversation. But listen, we, 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 are, we are trying to figure out, in the end, where do a people of faith take their stand on an issue that is impacting our community. And, and we're, we're, we're developing that. We're getting, for, the, for those of you that yeah. are feeling that, <laughs> stay, don't, don't stay go on. anywhere. Stay close, stay close. Yeah. I, want, I want to keep you Come here. Come with us. We got to, we're, we're on a journey. We're on a journey. So Dr., Dr. Pastor Wade is going to take us into, into yes. the next, next segment here. So, so as you know, many of our folks who, viewers who watch this uh, PRT are members in the pew. Um, um, I myself have been one, as I shared I alluded to earlier in the show that CRT was never on my radar until Charlottesville. When we had the massacre in Charlottesville recently and the protest in Charlottesville and, and some of the things that um, former President Trump said, and, and all of a sudden now CRT became a, 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 a living room word and it was also connected as if this was the pushback or the under, undergirding for the Black Lives Matter. Now, I, I understand there are two Black Lives Matter. There's the organization and there is the movement. And, um, and I'm, we're not here to debate either one, but we do know that at least the movement, the piece that many of us can get behind, um, has has now come up against this concept of the CRT. Um, is there any relationship between the Black Lives Movement, Black Lives Matter movement, and critical race theory? Um, uh, Dr. Bell, you, you want to jump in on that one, Wayne first, and then Dr. Burton? Well, um, I can perhaps share my perspective. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what comments and how that is responded you know, responded to. I, I view Black Lives Matter uh, as a decentralized movement. I see it uh, effectively addressing uh, police brutality and uh, violence directed toward Black people. Um, and there are specific uh, organizations that label themselves Black Lives Matter but it's a broad array in, in my view. The term has still not been uh, trademarked. Um, and yes, there were three very concerned women who launched it initially um, after, I think it was after the Zimmerman uh, attack on um, Martin. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking that that's when it uh, began this vigilante absence, uh, clearly, uh, I'll, I'll moderate my language a little bit, clearly identifying someone in their neighborhood who they felt might be trouble, because, not good trouble, bad trouble, because of uh, their racial, racial identity. And so Black Lives 
matter emerged. And then, of course, you have an endless list um, of uh, persons who have died, uh, and some of them just shockingly. Uh, you, the American conscience cannot deny it because of police video cams, etc. Uh, the the logging by the Washington Post of um, uh, killings of black people by police is just mind-boggling. And I, I don't know anybody who cannot uh, read about what happened to Tamir Rice and, and not be moved. I, I My wife and I participated in a uh, Black uh, Lives Matter march in our town, a few thousand people. Um, up in Portland, Maine, and the organizers, yes, were from out of state, but it was very peaceful, very positive, both informing and expressing, and I, I, I personally value the Black Lives Matter organization and movement. I know um, there are people who chide me from a context that I might be in on frequent occasions uh, for such and associate it with things that uh, Black Lives Matter, for the most part, is a, a peaceful and positive citizens' protest against the violence um, provided by our police. Is, uh, and to deny that it is systemic, I think, is a little naive. To say that every police person would uh, behave in a way that a few have is also uh, incorrect and doesn't serve the Black Lives Matter concern well. We need to address a social issue that is systemic and do it with our eyes open and with honesty and integrity. Now, that's my perspective from where I come from on Black Lives Matter. Dr. Button? Yeah, thanks, Dr. Bell. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Bell. And um, continuing, as we look at uh, the intersection of the Black Lives Matter movement and also critical race theory, particularly as it's rooted in the academy, um, the Black Lives Matter movement, basically, I think that's what really put the boots on the academic theory. Mm. Because what, what, what really happened? What's, what's the real problem here? Now, the real problem is that uh, Michael Brown and Eric Garner and George Floyd and Sandra Bland um, were assaulted by a system because people in that system, at least those who are a part of the system, who are paid to uphold the law, know that if they do things against black and brown bodies, nothing's going to happen to them. There's going to be no personal liability. Okay, And so if you're looking at critical race theory as a legal theory, then we are um, looking at such things as should police officers be held personally uh, responsible uh, for actions they take uh, that uh, cause the death of other human beings. Um, mm -hmm. Is it um, right that in the city of Ferguson, um, that has a high, a high black population, that the police force does not reflect 
what we have in it. How, how, how does it happen? How do we get away with those things? And so I think when we look at the Black Lives Matter movement, it's basically, you know, taking the theory to the streets and saying, listen, um, this may be mm -hmm. a theory, but here is proof, here is evidence uh, yeah. why this theory uh, needs to be implemented, why these issues need to be addressed. Because, you know, um, it's called, you know, a theory because we're, we're looking at certain realities. We all know what the laws say. We all know that in um, 1776, when the Declaration of Independence was penned, and, you know, those words, behold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal, that, that really wasn't true. We all know that. You know, but how does that affect the way in which laws are made? How does it affect the way in which we can compartmentalize in our own minds the way in which laws are implemented um, against certain segments of the community? Because laws have always been um, unequal in this nation. Hmm. And that's what Black Lives Matter is doing. It's calling us and saying, listen, there is a problem. And so it would be nice um, if, you know, we had the academic discussion and uh, those academic, um, you, you know, thinkers could go before Congress and help to change policy. Uh, but I think, again, because it's so convenient for those in the positions of power uh, to confuse uh, issues uh, to just lump everything together, it's a boogeyman, these guys are socialists, they're terrorists, they're this, they're that, the other. And so all of a sudden, public opinion, and remember, the public opinion um, that really helps to shape society, and I'm going to say this um, very lightly, um, is the public opinion of, of white people. Why do I say that? Because the majority, we're still looking at the, at the majority you know, here in the United States of America. Now, of course, all white people don't think alike, in a sense, but we do know that um, it's necessary uh, to have a critical mass of white people understanding the problems. Otherwise, we have issues like we just had, where there are, you know, a significant number of the population, which is unequally uh, distributed according to race, who get behind um, a supremacist uh, president, who get behind all these attempts mm. to tear down voting laws, et cetera. And I think what the BLM movement has done is saying, listen, there really is a problem, please see. But unfortunately, in many ways, because um, those who sort of frame the discussion, the power to frame the discussion have confused so many things, it's gonna be very hard to move forward. So, so basically what you're saying is that the same people that are triggered by the Black Lives Matter movement are gonna be triggered by CRT. Um, right. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Okay. Now I see one of our um, persons participating online addressing uh, an important perspective that, well, the history needs to be taught in the home first. Yeah, history should be taught in the home. Uh, and here's, here's a problem. Uh, the bias will determine what history is taught wow. in the home. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and so... I think yeah. we need to have an active voice uh, regarding um, teaching in public schools. Oh. I think it has to be said uh, carefully. 
it has to be said in a way that could actually accomplish something. I think there are about 13 states, mostly in the South of the United States, who have recently passed laws uh, against mm -hmm. critical race theory. Now, I spend the uh, winter and spring in Collegedale where my daughter, son-in-law, and two grandboys are in the state of Tennessee. And I read the Tennessee law. I'm not uh, suggesting you should be reading all the stuff from Congress that goes on, but you should read this one. Because one of the things that it says is that uh, they teachers must not teach subjects, what are the words, uh, somebody can look it up online, that cause shame or feeling of guilt uh, in, in a student? Well, good grief. Come on. <laughs> that means we shouldn't teach about lynchings. We shouldn't teach sundowners. We shouldn't teach the problem people have voting today simply because of their color, because somebody could end up feeling ashamed or guilt because of it. So if a teacher wants to teach history of those events, they should not. How, how are history teachers going to teach about the Trail of Tears? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're, wow. if you're mm -hmm. teaching the South, yeah. you should teach about the Trail of Tears. How are you going to teach about the Civil War? How are you going to, if you're a teacher in Tulsa, Oklahoma, are you going to ignore <laughs> what happened in that city? I mean, come on. Uh, yeah. it, those laws are vague and they're meant to politically satisfy voters from a far-right political spectrum. And they're not guided by careful, reasoned thought. Um, information, don't, don't sell any people short if they mm. have the right information. Don't sell me short. Don't let sell anybody short. Careful, reasoned, accurate information can have an effect and empower change. Not instantly, but over generations, it can. So I would make the case that these laws against teaching CRT or any initiative taken on the part of any organization, religious, including my own, to say we shouldn't talk about CRT, yeah, that that's misguided. It's not the proper response. Yeah, uh, you probably ought to stay on a level that an elementary or high school student can understand about events happening and ask them to critically think. Just like uh, Jesus said, who is my neighbor? There is no problem with asking people to critically think about what the events mean that have happened in our American scene. And if, if you really believe in God, trust the Holy Spirit to teach and guide that child then. Anyway, I'll... What a great discussion uh, regarding this um, all-important topic, this theoretical framework. Um, I, we want to go right to the church now because, mm. you know, what, what impacts mm. our society Here we go. somehow impacts the church. We don't operate Ooh. in a, a bubble. Uh, we operate uh, within our society, of course. 
views and so forth, and we try to reach a higher standard, but yet the the social, um, our, our society still impacts us. And, you know, when I was um, there at Andrews University, um, wonderful school, you know, I, I think it was the Light Bearers, you know, we read that book and uh, the history of the church and, um, you know, wonderful stuff. But then there was another book that came out uh, by Dr. Rock some years later. And the book was called, it's called Protest and Progress. And it kind of, it highlighted stuff that, that I didn't see, you know, in the, in the former book. And so, so I'm, and, and it talked about how, you know, race, how it impacted the institutions and so forth. So I want to come to, to our, our guests here. Um, we can start with Dr. Burton and, and then go with Dr. Bell. Um, how has this uh, the theoretical framework, the, 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 actually the tenets, you know, we could, we could we put a name on it, but, but let's talk about what the theory suggests, you know, embedded laws or even, um, uh, policies that that actually um, create a, a certain um, wave or a certain way that, that we do business. It, it affects our organizational culture, right? Uh, racism at, at times. So how has this impacted our institutions uh, within the Seventh-day Adventist Church, whether it's our schools, whether it's our, um, our union, the conferences, or um, even in our healthcare system? Dr. Dr. Burton. Okay. Now, um, in order to address this, Dr. Henry, um, I'm probably going to have to broaden the definition of critical race um, theory that, that, that at least I've, I've, I've been using so far in the discussion, because uh, so far in the discussion, I've looked at it strictly from the legal lens. Um, but I also know, and um, a couple of people have mentioned this, you know, as we uh, go back to the worst of, um, you know, uh, Karaji Woodson and others, that uh, the concept that is now being known as critical race theory can go beyond the sphere of the legal to um, the sociological and maybe even the ecclesiological. And so uh, using that broader definition now, um, we have to come to terms with the reality that the Seventh-day Adventist Church um, is built on the same racist structure as the United States of America. And so um, the church at its core is racist. And what, um, coming from a critical race perspective, we need to say, okay, uh, Burton, you've made a very <laughs> strong statement. Uh, yeah, what do you true. mean by that? Well, I mean, uh, how many Sabbath school quarters have we seen come out recently with a black Jesus on it? You know, and so the whole notion of a color of Christ and, 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 and the Nordic Christ being normative, you know, um, the statements uh, that are made by our president, um, uh, uh, Ted Wilson, and he is a friend of mine, uh, but, um, you know, the statements that he makes as it relates to music and expression in the church, um, things that are, you know, aligned to black folk. And uh, even, um, and I'm going to touch a holy grail here, you know, even uh, there was a statement that Ellen White made back in the late 1800s, uh, where she speaks about the need for our black brethren to worship more with our white brethren. Um, the whole push for integration is because she says, you know, they need to be a little bit more refined. What do they, they tend to be a little excitable in a sense, right? And so uh, critical race theory pu pushes us into um, asking the tough questions, pushing us to that point of cognitive dissonance, where we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and admit that, well, maybe the things that we've been seeing as normative 
are things that are destructive to certain segments of our community. Uh, you mentioned, Dr. Henry, light bearers to the remnant. Light bearers to the remnant, that's Schwartz, right? And, 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 and light bearers to the remnant, uh, in that chapter, bright lights that flickered and faded. Remember that chapter? And he's looking at people um, like James K. Humphrey. Um, James mm -hmm. K. Humphrey didn't fade. James K. Humphrey was a victim of racism in this church. Yes. A system yes. that said that if you were black, you couldn't go to AUC, you couldn't go to CUC, you couldn't go to Andrews, you had to go to Oakwood. And because he wanted to start a school for blacks in Utica Park in New York, all of a sudden he gets this fellowship, his whole congregation gets this fellowship from the church. Okay, that is wrong. And so when we look at the roots of Adventism and the, the um, Adventist normativity, and this is one of the things we talk about intersectionality, all right, Crenshaw. Um, Critical race theorem, and again, I think Dr. Bell picked on this earlier, the whole notion of sometimes is people make it too simplistic when it's sort of black versus white, because from an intersectionality perspective, you know, there are blacks who are also victimized, you know, and so when the drums came back in the church, for instance, all of a sudden, that's the devil's music. We don't want to hear black mm. folks saying that. They didn't want drums in the church because they were told by others that, you know, um, the beat, you know, is calling the demons and, and all kind of foolishness. All right. And so when we look at, yes, we have been touched by this. And then the unfortunate thing is we have people in positions of authority who don't see their own racism. Um, Ed Zinke, again, someone who I personally know, I served on the General Conference Biblical Research um, Institute, uh, what is it, BRICA, Research Institute Committee with him, right? For him to get up there and talk to the church, I think it was last week, and say that we should not teach critical race theories in any of our school. One, he doesn't understand what critical race theory is. He's parroting um, talking points from the religious right, and he's basically um, you know, spouting uh, some implicit racism that he himself may not be aware of. And he's talking about this whole thing, oh, we need to be biblical. What does that mean, for goodness sake, biblical? Because the Bible, as we all know, we're all, we've all done theology, we've taught theology, we, we studied theology, and everyone reads the Bible through their own lens. So what does it mean to be biblical? When I hear that statement, I hear, well, you must read the Bible through Eurocentric lenses. I'm not going to do that, okay? And so critical race theory, and I'm, I'm not saying if I'm giving you more than you ask for, Dr. Henry. I'm not sure if I'm giving you more than you ask for, but uh, basically- Well, you're you know, giving um, it, you're it's, giving it's, it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's rooted and grounded and pressed in our church, huh. you know? And um, again, I don't think that a lot of people uh, who are spouting these positions are doing so consciously, who understand the hurt and the pain that's happening, um, who, uh, who, who, you know, I don't think they understand the power of colonialism. And the reality is uh, Patrick Lumumba, named after the famous Patrice Lumumba, is trying to tell Africa, listen, Africa, you need to be emancipated from mental slavery as Bob Marley said, mm. because there are so many vestiges of colonialism. The genius of colonialism was basically, if we can get them to believe that they are inferior, and we say that we're giving them their independence, then they would still be beholden to us. 
-hmm. You know, kudos. This last thing I'm going to say is I'm going to be quiet for Dr. Bell. I, I would say kudos to Trinidad to a certain extent. All right, now. Because when the Caribbean islands, <laughs> when the Caribbean islands, well, big up, big up kudos for, um, for, 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 for Barbados. But when the Caribbean islands claimed that they were becoming independent, it happened in Africa too with the, um, the, the, the English-controlled col um, colonies and the French-controlled colonies. Let me say they're being independent. How in the world, Jamaica, can you claim that you got your independence in 1962 if the queen is still the queen of Jamaica? If there has to mm. be a royal, if there has to be a governor wow. general representing the queen on the island. Wow. Okay, wow. this yep. whole notion, and, and, and Patrick <laughs> Lumumba talked about this, this whole notion of the commonwealth. Okay, you can have your independence, but you have to be a part of the Commonwealth. Uh -oh. And who's in charge of the Commonwealth? Uh -oh. The Queen. Uh-oh, uh-oh. The French uh -oh. countries. Okay, you can have your independence, but guess what? You have to have the CIFA as the currency. And what is the CIFA? 60% or more of your um, foreign reserves has to go into the Central Bank of France. And if you want some money, you borrow at interest. Now, I know I've strayed wow. from, the, um, from the church to society, but... That is our church. We are permeated. We don't see the results of colonialism. We don't see the results of, you know, um, the racist history of America. And somehow uh, people feel that to be biblical is to ignore the reality mm. of racial division in our church. And I claim, I choose, sorry, to defer because Jesus says, if you're going to be biblical, you cannot be colorblind. You cannot mm. say that injustice does not exist. Mercy. Wow. Oh, my Lord. Wow. My Lord. Wow. <laughs> oh, you said a lot, Doc. You said you said a lot. You said a lot. Doctor Bell. Uh, I, I should just say this, um, <laughs> that, uh, regarding uh, Doctor Burton. That was that was very very well said, and and thoughts kept coming into my mind, and I kept reading the chat line. I'll, I'll just comment to further the conversation, but I think listeners and all of us together capture those lines of the last five or seven minutes. We're, we're part of society. The church is. We cannot claim to be some sanctified remnant group when we act very much like the society around us. I, I think one thing is we need to have a humble identity with that reality of being part of the public life. So in that condition, to do better in understanding the systemic outcomes of racism uh, is an opportunity. And mm. I think one perspective that I would bring is a, a sense of Frustration, regret, balanced again, <laughs> and you, you know, it's, it's easy for me to say because look how I look. You know, I can measure a bit of progress occasionally. At the same time, I can't take that bit of progress and ignore the very real outcomes in areas like education, access to good food, the justice system, oh, voting, all those things that are still present. So I, I can genuinely, without apology, say I have regret as a country that we haven't gone further. Now, I've seen it in the church in a perspective that I sometimes, I, I can get misunderstood because conversations come up 
well, the church is the most segregated, Sabbath morning, the most segregated moment or Sunday morning in the broader Christian context. Um, and then inevitably, somebody will say, well, it's a very negative witness to have a regional conference or state conference and regional conference organizations. Now, I serve uh, on a departmental level and pastoral level on the West, departmental and administrative level in the East, and been on various college boards, union boards, and conference committees, etc. And I have to throw a, a pause, hold, hold a moment, when we talk about um, our distinctive organizational structure. And the reason I say that is, please don't misunderstand me. I'll have to read the comments with a tough skin, I think. Um, I'm not sure we're ready uh, for um, the disappearing of those distinct uh, organizational units. And I think not being ready is both a time it takes to understand and move forward from our history, plus the reality of our hearts. I, mm. I, I think it's both. I, I was uh, in, on the uh, Columbia Union uh, Executive Committee and one of our colleagues, a president of uh, one of the regional conferences would constantly come and the moment devotion was over, open his newspaper just start to read his newspaper. And I kept thinking about that, kept thinking about it month after month after month. And uh, when I served on the Atlantic Union Executive Committee, I could truly understand. We, we each come from a cultural history and respect for our cultural histories um, especially, especially when, uh, oh boy, it, I think it's a, a little easier to, um, understand the problem when you've got the pain. Mm. Uh, um, I, I, I had the joy of coordinating a cohort in the doctor of ministry program in South Africa. And then I was invited back in Andrew's international development program twice to teach conflict management in South Africa, in the IDP. Now, can you imagine somebody who looks like me teaching conflict management in uh, Cape Town, uh, post-apartheid? Mm. Uh, it's very difficult, very difficult to understand. I, I would go to restaurants and inevitably the management would be people who, of common European descent. Uh, and the serving staff of African person descent. And I would, I had a pet conversation. I always engaged the serving staff. And I said, are you going to own a restaurant like this? Are you going to own a chain of restaurants like this? I wanted to see how much of their spirit had been 
damaged, if you will, by the colonial impact. Because you can study in theory. I can tell you not once, and I, I had dozens of such conversations. Now, thankfully, you can probably correct me, and some on the comment line will correct me, I'm sure, that this is not a fair generalization. Uh, that I have somebody, of course, I, I'm, I'm going to own restaurants, I'm going to start a business, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I'm going to have that spirit. And I had to, uh, I had to uh, facilitate the Association of Theological Schools doing the accreditation sites for our doctor of ministry program uh, in the Cape Town area out there in Somerset West, which is a different part, it's a different culture than Cape Town. Um, and, uh, uh, but we had participants who were more genuinely a part of that country and culture. And, and of course, I, I just misspoke. That's not fair. But also they did the facilitating work, uh, for our cohort in Russia. And I'll never forget one of them, uh, a gentleman named Willard. And he said, uh, colonialism, after he had done both and in debriefing, and they had spent considerable time interviewing constituents and students said, colonialism has been much more damaging than communism has been in the human scene. Wow. Well, mm. uh, and I think, wow. I think my experience, I'll just wrap this up here. My experience is in the West, resources, energy, and interest without consciousness, not with intentionality, without consciousness, part of the system was toward people of my neighborhoods, people that looked like me. And it wasn't an intentional um, systemic racism. It just mm -hmm. was there. Now, that's in the West where there are no regional conferences. I'm not suggesting we have regional conferences in the West, but I'm suggesting that, again, this is a far more nuanced, difficult conversation than we sometimes think. Now, I'm sorry if I have misspoken in some ways. <laughs> I'll be quiet for a while now. But, but, I, I, need to, I need to jump in here because... Um, you just hit on something. I, I'm, I'm of West Indian descent. I, 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 I was born on the island of Trinidad. And as I always share with young people and with others, my concept of the racial tension in America was non-existent because I grew up seeing African-Americans or Blacks leading um, country and church and those things. And so when I came to America, it was a little, I didn't really, I didn't have an eye to the problems that were being faced by our community. Um, it's not until I got into the church or got into understanding the history did it really impact me. And as a Caribbean um, person, um, I obviously jumped on the side of African-Americanism um, in terms of, you know, because I look more like that and understanding what's happening. Um, I felt the pain. As you said, Dr. Bell, but there are there are some young people today in our church who are not feeling the pain and they are kind of like, well, we need to do away with the regional work. We need to do away with this. We need to do away with that because they, they don't have importance today. But yet still, there are those who are still alive because we have a number of generations alive who are saying, no, we need to remember 
the pain we had and 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 hold on to the things we have gained and 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 critical race theory seems to want to take that away based on the understanding that we have um how can we speak to our young people dealing with um what they're facing with today and what we know as history for where we are today um Dr. Bell, Dr. Burton. Well, what comes yeah. to, to my mind, uh, and Keith, I may have just uh, in the pause, you know, to, what comes to my mind, look at current issues and ask our young people to think about them. Uh, the amount of time it takes a person from a uh, uh, underserved neighborhood to cast their vote, and I've had personal experience in that, and going and standing in their lines and waiting with them just to test it out. Mm. Um, or uh, education, have them go into the schools uh, or just the system, have them represented by, uh, not represented, but study the representation that money buys in our justice system. Uh, So that they can be, I, I think they need to be aware of what current life is you know, like. Dr. Yeah, and um, if I can, yeah, if I can uh, continue here, you know, there's a um, a comment that I've been looking at, you know, I've been looking at for the past hundred minutes. It says, we can't go back and change the history. We have such a limited time, et cetera, et cetera. Now, we talk about history, but what is history? Um, history is not just something that happened in the past. History has to do with past events that impact the present the present and so when we when we look at um our our young people and oftentimes they have, i mean for a long time you know barack obama was president post-racial yeah we've made it we have overcome you know not looking again from a critical perspective that um barack obama loved the man but um he was a kenyan kansan right um he did not have ancestral roots in the united states of america Okay, and so you can see there was caution. In fact, that's probably when the ADOS movement began to pick up a lot of steam. All right, and so the whole idea of saying something is back then and this is now is one of the reasons why we need to think critically about reality because Hmm. events of the past have a lasting effect on every moment of the present, you know. If somebody came in and stole my parents' house, you know, 30 years ago, and uh, I came back, you know, in 2021 and said, listen, you know, it'd be nice to get my house back. I said, let's have a conversation. That that happened back then. You know, we're, we're past that right now. Okay. Uh, you can come out to tea next week, but no, I want my house back. Okay. Because it's something that, something that happened. And so, no, you you may be the child of the person who stole the house, but what your parents did has an impact on my economic situation today, my geographical location today, uh, my sense of self today. There is so much that is there. And so, uh, you know, I think a lot of people were slapped into reality in the post-Obama years. <laughs> when we've had to deal with this, and I'm not going to say a resurgence. We've had to deal with the taking off the masks by Mm -hmm. some of the same people who don't want to wear a mask now. Okay, we've had to deal 
with this reality. And so our young people, one of the reasons why we teach history is so that people can know that history is not at all detached from our present. That's right. That's right. And we can always, we can always have the mindset that as long as we remember, it's going to be very difficult for this to be repeated. Mm. Let me just uh, underscore that a bit. I know our time is wrapping up here, but historical study promotes a well-informed citizen and a well-informed Christian witness. Moses, we stud we're studying right in this quarter. Moses began his book of Deuteronomy with a history lesson. Mm -hmm. and, and it provides basic information <laughs> about the background of our religious institutions, our political life, the values and problems in our society. It develops, history develops our capacity to use evidences as we analyze things, to assess interpretations, to analyze change. These are good habits of the mind. Informed people think and we will function. Uh, you know, there's a language that everybody across the Adventist spectrum would appreciate. Informed minds of people who can think will function as better evangelists in the public square. Mm. Mm -hmm. Can I, can I mm. say one, one more thing, please? Because <laughs> I've seen a couple things come up again in the point and has to do with sort of the, the, the Caribbean, you know? And, and um, you know, uh, yes, Thelma, I understand what you're saying as Jamaica did not have the experience of racial tensions and I came to America, but let's, again, critical race theory, critical race thinking. Let me use the word critical race thinking. Critical race thinking. Yeah. Who was the first, who was the first prime minister of an independent Jamaica? Who was the second prime minister of an independent Jamaica? Who was the third prime minister of the empire? And what do they have in common? What do they have in common? They're almost immediate European ancestry. Yes, they had a little tinge of blackness in them, but they're almost, um, you know, predominant European ancestry. There was a time, uh, if you went into the banks in Jamaica, who was behind it? Who were the managers? Who owned the companies? You know, so, so um, to my Caribbean brothers and sisters, please. Okay, we have not been immune from this. Uh, Michael Mann is up the down escalator. In fact, one of the books I have it, I was going to recommend later, okay, from, from your countryman over here, right? Capitalism and Slavery, Eric Williams, okay, Trinidadian. You know, this is, it's, it's, the, it's the reality. And, and sometimes when we don't think about our reality, you know, those who are pushing this notion of supremacy and divide and conquer win. It doesn't, someone mm -hmm. asked earlier, is this just an African-American thing? No, it's global. It's global. Mm -hmm. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that. That's it. Wow. Wow. Oh, boy, oh, boy, <laughs> boy, boy. Listen. Boy. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, man, we need, a, we need a part two and a part three. I mean, this, this conversation um, just has just opened up, I think, our eyes and the viewers' eyes to the to the critical, uh, to the to the importance of this conversation. And I like what you said, um, both of you had great, great comments. Dr. Burton, you said critical race thinking, of course, you know, theory, they're thinking, but the critical race thinking, I think that more conversations dealing with the uh, inequities, you know, that exist within our society, within our institutions, it has to be done with history, right? So that we right. can make the adjustments so that those things won't happen again. <laughs>